Welcome to this installment of the Assembly of Sleep and Respiratory Neurobiology Journal Club. I'm Rob Stansberry, member of the Assembly's Web Committee and co-chair for the SRN Journal Club. Today we'll be discussing um, an article published last June in the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine assessing the relationship between the intrinsic markers of obstructive sleep apnea severity and measures of cerebral gray matter structure. This article is entitled Gray Matter Hypertrophy and Thickening with Obstructive Sleep Apnea in Middle-Aged and Older Adults. I'm pleased to welcome the, the article's lead or author, Andrea Ann Burreal, from the University of Montreal. I'm also glad to be joined by Dr. Nadia Goslin, who is Director of Clinical Training in Neuropsychology at the University of Montreal and Director of the University Center for Advanced Research in Sleep Medicine. I would also like to thank Dr. Andrew Varga for joining us today to provide expert commentary and insight on this study. Dr. Varga is a sleep physician and neuroscientist at the Aiken School of Medicine at Mount Sinai with clinical interest in all areas of sleep medicine, including sleep and neurodegenerative diseases and generalized cognitive deficits as a function of fragmented sleep. Ms. Burreal, to start, I will ask you to give a brief overview of the study and pertinent findings. Okay, so uh, recently, obstructive sleep apnea has been increasingly associated with cognitive decline and even dementia. Uh, however, very few studies specifically evaluated brain structure in participants with obstructive sleep apnea that are over 50 years old. So in this study, we aim to better understand how markers of obstructive sleep apnea severity are linked to cerebral gray matter structure using regression models. Our sample of 71 participants included controls and participants with mild, moderate, and severe obstructive sleep apnea. Various respiratory and sleep variables were entered in a principal component analysis, uh, which resulted in values for every participant representing hypoxemia, respiratory disturbances, and sleep fragmentation. So we used those values uh, as markers of obstructive sleep apnea severity. Using regression models, we evaluated the association between these markers of severity with gray matter structure. Uh, gray matter was assessed with both voxel-based morphometry and free surface segmentation. Voxel-based morphometry evaluates volume and concentration, while uh, free surface segmentation evaluates volume and thickness. For the results, we did not find significant association between gray matter measure with voxel-based morphometry with markers of obstructive sleep apnea severity. But with FreeSurfer, we found larger volumes and thicker gray matter in association with markers of obstructive sleep apnea severity. So hypoxemia was the marker that was associated with most brain regions. More severe hypoxemia was associated with increased thickness or volume in three regions of the prefrontal cortex, the left posterior singular cortex, as well as the thickness of the right and superior and inferior parietal cortex. Uh, respiratory disturbances were also associated with, uh, with increase in volume, so with a larger amygdala on the right side, and sleep fragmentation was associated with a thicker right inferior frontal gyrus. So our results uh, were surprising because we did not expect larger and thicker gray matter in relation with markers of obstructive sleep apnea severity. 
We hypothesize that these increases may be caused by reaction like edema, reactive gliosis, and increased level of beta amyloid in the brain, all of which may cause uh, gray matter swelling. Because our obstructive sleep apnea participants were mildly or not at all symptomatic regarding sleepiness, cognition, and mood, uh, these increase in gray matter volume and thickness in obstructive sleep apnea may be uh, an early stage of the condition in the brain. So later on, when clinical symptoms are observed, we may find atrophy instead. So an early stage characterized by Hypertrophy may be a temporal window for treatment to slow down neurodegeneration in the obstructive sleep apnea population. But uh, longitudinal studies are definitely needed to evaluate the course of gray matter structure in obstructive sleep apnea in older individuals. Great. Uh, Dr. Gosselin, um, do you have anything to add? Thank you, Andrean, for this uh, nice summary. So this um, study was performed mainly by Andrean. In fact, she did it during her um, PhD. So um, it, it's um, as as Andrean mentioned, uh, I, her results were surprising first at the, because we expected to see. Uh, atrophy of the gray matter, and we rather observe uh, hypertrophy of the gray matter structure. So it's probably in partly due to our population that were uh, very uh, mildly symptomatic. So. Okay. Dr. Varga, did you um, like, uh, like to hear your takeaways and if you have any questions um, for the author? Yeah, sure. So, so congratulations to you guys both on this, this paper. I was, it was a really cool paper. I read it actually a long time ago when it, when it first came out, and I was, I was excited to, to, to hear about it. I think that, uh, you know, this, this field is, is tough, I think, because, you know, it's, it's an old field, and, um, and it's had a lot of pretty mixed results, right? If you go back, there's, you know, there are quite a number of papers that have actually suggested that, that obstructive sleep apnea is associated with with areas of cortical thinning, um, you have other areas or other papers that have suggested um, some cortical thickening. Although I would I'd probably argue that they're they're sort of fewer uh, overall. And so I'm just sort of wondering, you know, how you place your results in the in the context of of, of like I said this, this history and, and and whether you think it brings some clarity to kind of what's going on. I so it's not yeah so I'm. It's true that there were mixed results in the past. There uh, are several studies that look at gray matter, mostly in middle, young and middle-aged uh, adults with sleep apnea, uh, with uh, very few papers, including older adults. And um, most papers, uh, most studies, uh, were able to see small changes in gray matter, uh, sometimes reduced gray matter, or other studies found increase in the gray matter volume or um, thickness. And it's probably that we are testing different stage of the disease, of the sleep apnea process. So what we uh, think is that um, we um in our study we probably uh focus more on the early stage of the of sleep apnea and how sleep apnea affects the brain 
and other study may have uh, focused more on a uh, later stage uh, of sleep apnea. So it's, um, there's probably multiple mechanisms and different stages, so with the first stage being more uh, brain edema, and then in the latter stage, it's more uh, cell, cellular death, so the decrease in gray matter. So it may be a way to uh, combine all the studies to, and to make sense with all the previous studies. But of course, I think that the only way we will be able to really answer this question is to follow a cohort longitudinally to see if the increase in gray matter that we observe uh, will uh, result in a decrease in gray matter uh, a few years uh, later. And to kind of follow up on that question, maybe Andrea on can uh, comment on this is, you know, looking at this choice of processing your MRI images, you know, as you mentioned in the paper, this has historically been completed using the voxel-based uh, morphometry. And, you know, I guess my question is, what decided you guys to use the free, uh, why did you guys decide to use the free surfer? And is this kind of a novel um you know, processing technique, or is it well validated? And you know, is that really what we should be using, sort of moving forward, um, and doing our assessments and all this? You know, do you think it could kind of um, clear up the picture um, as far as looking at gray matter volume and obstructive sleep apnea? So uh, we use the both voxel-based morphometry and FreeSurfer because uh, one of the previous study in obstructive sleep apnea that found an increase in uh, gray matter volume used FreeSurfer. So we were wondering if uh, the, um, the method used could have an impact on the kind of result that we, we may find. Uh, in uh, mild cognitive impairment and uh, dementia, there's a lot of study that use FreeSurfer. Uh, the comparison between uh, both techniques is that voxel-based morphometry has a lot of processing. The brain is changed a lot in space to be able to compare subjects, uh, while FreeSurfer is a little bit more complicated on the technical side to do, but the brain is uh, less moved around uh, using processing since we use the segmentation. So the segmentation is closer to what uh, would be manual volumetry. So we kind of um, draw around the structure and remove them instead of moving them around in the space. So uh, FreeSurfer may be able to be uh, maybe more sensitive to the change of service sleep apnea and is a well-described uh, well, uh, method used in uh, cognitive decline in the older population outside of the literature in objective sleep apnea. Dr. Varga, do you have any um, more comments or questions? I'm wondering if, uh, like I said, the authors could kind of give their, their impressions or explanations as to why, you know, the, you know, like I said, the areas of, of cortical change that they observed are very lateralized uh, in all cases, because um, you'd expect that kind of, um, you know, you know, sleep apnea is a metabolic process. You know, hypoxemia that's seen in the brain is not seen only on the right side or only on the left side. It's seen 
throughout. So do you have any sort of thoughts or explanations as to why the lateralization in the areas of cortical thickness might have occurred? So um, we had uh, trends. Uh, the it, it was not significant, but almost all region that we find there was a trend on the other side. So we don't think it's that much lateralized. We don't think it's necessarily one side or the other. It's maybe just a, a case of uh, statistical power. Uh, so almost all of them and many other subcortical structures, such as the hippocampus and all of that regarding the more uh, central medial region where also uh, there was also a trend for these regions. And um, have you guys kind of compared, you know, the regions that, that you found to be affected by sleep apnea to other papers? Is there kind of starting to be a consensus about you know, which brain areas are, are most susceptible to, to obstructive sleep apnea? Interestingly, uh, almost those regions, either exactly these regions or uh, adjacent regions, were all found to be uh, either atrophic or reduced thickness in a previous study. So, um, been previous study in obstructive sleep apnea. So this would maybe suggest that the hypothesis that we that Nadia exposed uh, earlier regarding a different stage uh, could be uh, could mean that these regions are affected both by increasing volume and thickness and reduced volume and thickness at different stage of the the condition. I'm oh, sorry. I was just going to ask if. Uh... You know, you guys, you know, had, like I said, postulated in the paper, you know, some thoughts about, you know, what might be, you know, the pathophysiological underpinnings of some of this increased cortical thickness. And you mentioned, you know, edema might be a possibility, gliosis, other things, beta amyloid, et cetera. So I was just wondering if you're aware of any work um, that's, you know, suggested that one of these possibilities might be more likely than any others. And, and if there are any sort of imaging techniques that might be done in the future that would help kind of um, you know, discriminate these possibilities. So, for example, if, you know, edema in particular might be um, particularly picked up by types of imaging that use, you know, diffusion-weighted sequences um, to kind of pick that up. So I was just wondering what you guys might think about that. So uh, in our discussion, we report study that used diffusion MRI in a newly diagnosed uh, patient with sleep apnea, and they found a change that were uh, compatible with uh, edema in the subcortical structure. So these results um, are interesting, but because they, they are complementary with our uh, results, but I think it could be interesting to have a study that look at both gray matter measure and diffusion MRI to see if uh, the results are uh, consistent with the, the two techniques. There's also the, um, some technique, uh, neuroimaging technique that are uh, measuring uh, amyloid deposition. So this is something that could be also interesting to use because if we uh, can measure both gray matter uh, thickness and amyloid deposition in sleep apnea patient, we can then uh, 
go forward with our mechanistic hypothesis. To, to add to uh, another answer, so most of our hypotheses were uh, derived from animal studies using a model that mimics obstructive sleep apnea, but there is a few neuroimaging techniques that could be done and that are uh, being investigated in new studies in obstructive sleep apnea that also uh, that also uh, support our hypotheses regarding the, the processes that we suggested. So uh, the PET, uh, PET amyloid, uh, there's also diffusion MRI, there's many, many uh, techniques, uh, analysis techniques that we can use in diffusion MRI that would be interesting in obstructive sleep apnea to support these, uh, these hypotheses. Can I ask a question? Sure. So, uh, Dr. Varga, I, I would like to have your opinion about our result and the, ex the, the most possible explanation that you would see regarding our result because we, we had a lot of discussion in our lab about these results, but I would like to have uh, an external point of view uh, regarding this result. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, it's I. There, there's two two sort of questions, which is you know, is is sort of what's happening sort of really sort of true and reflective of what's of what's going on in the brain, right? That's sort of question number one, um, and then question number two is sort of is why, right? Like why why are you seeing these things and. Um, like I said, I'm, I still struggle a little bit with trying to understand, like I said, why, I mean, like I can, so I, I accept, uh, and like you guys are the experts on this, right? So I mean, I accept that if you tell me that, you know, like I said, there's, there's, this, there's starting to be this consensus of brain regions that are, that are the ones that are affected, then, then that, that's great. And like I said, I think, ho you know, hopefully that picture is going to be, become clearer, right, w over time. And as you said, with longitudinal studies and everything else, like I said, I think what's, What's still sort of confusing to me is, like I said, why there's this sort of variability, why we sometimes see, you know, like I said, sort of thinning or atrophy, why we sometimes see um, thickening. You know, you, I realize, like I said, part, your partial answer is that people have looked at different age groups. I mean, if you sort of just think about it logically, you would, you would probably hypothesize something sort of opposite than what you guys kind of have seen, which is you would might hypothesize that the early effect, right, of, of something like apnea would be, would be initially thickening, right, that you would initially have some some let's say edema, and so that so that in early diagnosis of OSA or in younger people, right, that would be what you would see. And then over time, the hypothesis would be that as that edema kind of persists, that you know it's 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 irritating and damaging to cells, and that over time, you know, you're gonna you're gonna get thinning. I mean, I think that would be sort of the logical, right, sort of hypothesis. And, and so, like I said, your some of your data is not not totally bearing that out, right? So so that just raises questions of you know sort of what what's going on and, and why. Um, and you know, and sort of sort of to that point, you know, particularly in sort of cardiovascular disease um, and sleep apnea, um, you know, we when you look at sort of large population studies, you know, the impact that treating sleep apnea would have hasn't been as robust as sort of you know the bench science would um, suggest and. You know, in the editorial written, uh, you know, by the researchers um, in London, 
they again raise the same question about you know phenotyping patients and whether some patients do have a more adaptive response versus a maladaptive response where you know maybe some do develop the cerebral edema and um, reactive gliosis and beta amyloid deposition and then uh, you know presumably present uh, you know progress to neural damage and atrophy um, but do you think there may be at least part of this can be some of these patients maybe were just um, you know their phenotype whether was that they're not as, as sensitive to the um, insult of obstructive sleep apnea as perhaps others are? One of the things that is interesting in our sample is the body mass index is really not that high compared to previous study that investigated middle age and uh, younger individual with obstructive sleep apnea. So uh, that's something that could uh, suggest that these people are maybe not exactly the same kind of obstructive sleep apnea and not the same kind of uh, comorbidity pattern that we observe, which may explain uh, maybe a more adaptive kind of processes that occurs compared to uh, other study with the, with the heavier subject. Uh, we... Um, Regarding age, there's also the fact that a lot of people uh, begin to have obsessive sleep apnea later in life, so a lot of our subject may just develop uh, early on obstructive sleep apnea, and uh, a lot of our uh, sample is mild obstructive sleep apnea also. So 42% of our sample has relatively mild uh, severity, which could suggest that they just developed the, the condition compared to maybe younger subjects that have a lot of comorbidities or a uh, uh, high body mass index, so maybe they're... Um, their presentation of obstructive sleep apnea is different. Yes, and I would add that it's it's true that it's currently difficult to characterize our sample well because they they have they are probably they probably have very different um, clinical characteristic in term of uh, duration uh, of the disease and which is very difficult to quantify and how their brain react to hypoxemia so it's we probably have a mix of individual in our sample and it's probably the case uh, of previous studies in our study we try to be more specific in our inclusion and exclusion criteria. This maybe help us having significant results regarding our neuroimaging variable, but the negative aspect is that it's difficult to generalize our result to the, the, the full sleep apnea population. So, but I think the, the way of doing this type of study is to be very specific in terms of exclusion and inclusion criteria and to describe our sample the best as we can. So then we can uh, try to compare the study and see, uh, to, uh, try to find the answer why we have different results in terms of neuro neuroimaging. Well, final few minutes here, Dr. Varga, do you have any last questions or, you know, comments for discussion? 
No, like I said, I like I said. I mean, kudos to you guys. This is like I said, a a really nice paper. Um, like I said, to me, you know, like I said, one of the one of the take homes was that, like I said, you did this sort of principal component analysis where you kind of broke the, like I said, OSA severity into these principal components. And if I'm interpreting your results correctly, it seemed like the vast majority of the significant correlations with with cortical thickness were were associated with the the sort of hypoxemia principal component. And so I think that, you know, moving forward, I think that that would suggest that, you know, looking at people with with really more severe hypoxemia is probably probably the way to go. Um, and then also to, you know, as you pointed out, to, to either A, follow these people longitudinally, or B, you know, intervene um, with, with CPAP or, or any other treatment, oral appliance or something that, that really treats apnea and, and, to, and to see whether or not that reverses, um, you know, some of these uh, cortical thickening changes. Uh, do the authors have um, any final words or um, comments? I would like to thank you all for uh, your time uh, for this discussion. It, it's very interesting to have uh, other point of view regarding uh, our results, so I would like to, to thank you for your time. Thank you. I would also like I would also like to thank you for uh, for the questions and uh, the interesting discussion. Well, thank you both for um, you know agreeing to share your very interesting work. Um, you know, I think it does give us a lot to think about, and you know maybe what to consider moving forward. And Dr. Varga, thank you for your great insight and commentary. Um, Absolutely. With this, we'll. With this, we'll conclude uh, another installment of the ATS Sleep and Respiratory Neurobiology Assemblies Journal Club, and thank you all for listening.